Exodus 2, starting in verse 2. You can figure out a lot of what God is about if you, can, if you read Genesis 1 and 2 and you read Genesis, uh, Revelation 21 and 22. Those are four of the most important chapters in the Bible. They're the bookends, the beginning and the end. And if you read them, you'll see that they say basically the same thing. Which what that tells us is what God did is what he's still doing. He didn't scrap his original intention, his original plan for us because things went out of whack. What he's been doing since Genesis 3 is trying to get us back to Genesis 1 and 2, which you can see again in Revelation 21 and 22. So read those four chapters and it will give you an idea of everything that God is doing. But his original intention for us is still his intention for us. Again, he hasn't scrapped that plan. If you want to know how to live your life, read Genesis 1 and 2. That was how God originally intended our lives to be lived. And again, that is still his intention for us. And we get out of step when we live in a way contrary to Genesis 1 and 2, which is our nature because of what happened in Genesis 3. So there's a rhythm here. We've talked about this, I think, every year that we've been in existence. We've kind of done this rhythm of life thing. It, it, it continues to come back up. And you'll see here pretty quickly that there's a rhythm. It's not a balance issue. Balance to me kind of implies equality. There's 24 hours in a day, and so we divide it up into equal chunks. I don't think that's the case. God worked six days. He took one day off. That's not balance, but it is rhythm. And it's not a tempo issue. Tempo is pace. It's how fast or slow we live. And a lot of times we misdiagnose the reason we feel kind of out of kilter is we think we're, we're living too, too fast. We have too much going on. And so we just start whacking stuff to reduce our commitments, which is okay, but that's a, that's a tempo issue. That's not a rhythm issue. You can, ha- you can live at a slow pace of life and still be out of rhythm in terms of how God originally created us to be. Or you can live with a fast pace and be in rhythm. That's really, there's a lot of freedom there. There's not, that's a negotiable. There's a lot of freedom when it comes to how fast or slow you live. It has to do with your personality, your capacity for, um, for relationships. It has to do with how busy you enjoy being. There's some people who thrive in the red line, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's, if that's how you thrive, as long as you're staying in rhythm, it's okay. And I think some of us can kind of, we can, we can feel judged by others, or we can judge other people because of the, the pace of life. That's an easy thing to poke at. How many times have you said, I'm too busy, or, or you're just too busy? We say that. Could be some truth there, but it could be we're misdiagnosing the problem. This kind of ties back into what we said a couple of weeks ago. There's freedom that needs to be tethered by love. And when it comes to pace or tempo, there's a lot of freedom. And that's just, uh, Paul talks about being led by the Spirit or walking in step with the Spirit. And that looks different for each of us in terms of tempo. This is not a balance issue, issue. It's not a tempo issue. It's a rhythm issue. Rhythm is movement based on recurring elements. And the three elements that are recurring are rest, work, and relationship. Genesis 2. This is rest. By the seventh day, this is verse 2, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So that was all of creation. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now we've talked a bunch about the fact that we are set free from this Old Testament law. We don't live under the rules and regulations. And we've talked about the Sabbath rules. There was 39 or something like that, extra rules about how to keep the Sabbath. This is different. This is 
creation. This is Genesis 2. The law has not been given. We live under this. We don't live under this mosaic law that says you can't work and you can't turn on a light bulb and you can't write anything and you can't erase anything and you can't tie your shoes. We don't live under that law. But there is rhythm to our life. Genesis 1 and 2, that's before the fall. That's how God set things up. And he started with rest which in the Bible, rest is almost always a metaphor for a relationship with Him. That's where rest begins. And so that's where we begin as well. We don't begin with work and then we take a break because we're tired. We begin with rest, being connected. with. It's what we just said. The reason it's well with our soul is because Jesus has first been raised from the dead. We don't start by trying to figure out how to make things well for us. That's what you see. You start with rest. This day that, that is set apart, the picture there, focus on Him. It's relating with Him. It's being with Him first. Then everything else comes out. So that's the foundation. That doesn't mean it's the first thing you have to do in the morning, but it means it needs to be the foundation of everything else you do in your life. It begins with rest. The second element is work. Genesis 2, 8, and 9, The Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there He put the man He had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow up out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip over to verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will surely die. So there you have this picture of work. God creates this garden. Now, like There are no weeds at this point. It says that the... Um, the garden is watered by water that comes up through the ground, so he's not dragging a sprinkler everywhere. I don't know what the work is, but he's working. He's given work. And again, this is pre-fall. Work is not a curse. Work is it's a gift from the Lord to us. Rest is first, then work. And that work, don't think job, think calling. It's how we contribute to God's design, how we contribute to God's plan and purposes. It's your deal in our slang that we use. So we start with rest, relating to Him. Then He gives us a job. He gives us an assignment. He gives us a calling. He gives us something to do. And He expects us to do it. Some of us have this picture because of where we live that the goal is to retire and play golf all day, which is... or retire and lay on the beach all day or whatever. We're, we're trying to get to the point where we don't have to do anything anymore. That means we've made it. Being professional men and women of leisure or whatever. That's, that's not the picture here. The picture here is until we die, we have something to do. It doesn't mean that you have to punch the clock until you keel over, but it does mean that there is significant, I would say important kingdom work for us to be about. And if we're not, we've missed something. So rest, work, last you see relationship. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Uh, skip down uh, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So he creates Eve. And then Adam and Eve are connected in this, what we call life-giving relationships, where there's transparency. That means people can see into your life what's going on and vulnerability they can speak in. You need both or the relationship's not life-giving. People need to be able to know what's going on with you, and then they need to be able to speak into that and help direct you 
moving forward. Just to be clear, this is not a married single issue. It's a isolation relationship issue. Some of the most isolated people I know are in marriages. They're married and they're just roommates with, the, with their spouse. They're not connected to each other without shame. There's not transparency. There's not vulnerability. They're coordinating schedules. They're co-parents. They're business partners, for lack of a better word. Just because you're married, it doesn't mean you have this type of relationship that God is talking about in Genesis 2. And just because you're single, it doesn't mean that you don't. Again, it has nothing to do with your marital status and everything to do with whether you're intentionally developing these relationships. So that's the rhythm. Again, not a pace issue. It's not a balance issue. All three elements. Rest first, then work and relationships. You don't look at the day and say eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours relationships. That's balance. That's not what we're talking about. Rhythm. The fall. Look in uh, chapter 3. The fall ruined rhythm. All of it. It ruined rest. Look in verse 23. The Lord God banished him, that's Adam from the Garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, those are angels with a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That's a picture of separation from God. So this rest that God originally intended everything to be based on, this relationship with him, being with him, we see it's done. Because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed, they're banished, exiled from the garden, and there's an angel with the sword to make sure you don't come back in, or Adam and Eve don't come back in. The rest has been uh, marred. It's been ruined. Work, verse 17, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, ate from the tree about which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. If you look right before that, God also curses Eve, Eve in kind of the classic um, women's work, which is childbirth. So he curses man in his work, woman in her work. Both of y'all, he's saying, you're going to struggle. It's going to be hard. I can't imagine a scenario where childbirth doesn't hurt, but apparently, originally it wasn't supposed to. So... Girls, again, don't know how that happens, but that's, that's the picture. So God has cursed work because of the fall. Rest, or relationship, excuse me, look in verse 7. The eyes of both of them, that's Adam and Eve, were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That is, they felt ashamed. So they went from these, uh, this transparent relationship to one of shame. We've got to cover ourselves up. Then look down in verse 10. So God says to Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. There you see fear introduced because I was naked, so I hid. God said, Why, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Classic, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit for the tree. And he pushes her out in front. You take the bullet. I'm going to go hide back here relationships are ruined. No more transparency, no more vulnerability. What that looks like for us when it comes to rest, we move from relationship to religion, from being with God to doing for God. And that's where some of you live. You live in this place, good heart, servant mentality. I've got to do more for him. That's how I maintain a right relationship. That's 
That's a result of, 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 of the fall. Read Genesis 1 and 2. Adam hadn't done anything. God begins with rest. When it comes to work, for a lot of us, we move from our vocation, our calling, to our occupation, our job. We move from what we're called to to what we're paid to. And our job, what we do to put food on the table, which we have to do, we elevate that. And our calling gets our leftovers. Our job gets the first, it's, it gets all that we have. And if there's anything left over, then we'll give that to the kingdom. We make a God of success versus a God of obedience. We, we get totally out of whack when it comes to work. And the same thing is true with our relationships. We move from self-giving to self-preserving, self-protecting. Shame enters in. We do things to cover ourselves up. We do things to hide. We do things to push other people out front so they can take responsibility and they can take the blame and so we can remain safe in the background. Sin ruins every element in this rhythm of life. And so we're out of kilter. All of us, we're all born that way. We're born out of kilter. Thankfully, Jesus came to make it all right. He came to restore this rhythm. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see there, the offer, right before that in verse 27, he's talking about knowing him, being with him, resting in him. That's the offer from Jesus. Different from every other major faith that I know of. It's not do all these things and then, hopefully, fingers crossed, you can enter into a relationship with whatever God it is you're trying to appease. Christianity says, just come. If you're worn out, if you're wiped out, if you're tired of striving, if you're sick of achieving, come and receive what I've done for you, and I'll give you rest. Turns everything on its head. We begin there. Work, John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, what will happen? He will bear much fruit. He will be productive. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, you see the connection between remaining in him and being productive and bearing fruit. We bear fruit as we're connected. That's the key, this resting in him, which then allows us to produce fruit. So work, again, don't think job. That's really important. Think calling. That's more important. We have. He's expecting us to bear fruit. He's made that possible now as we stay connected to him in relationship. Again, in John 15, 12 through 13, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and he lay down his life for his friends. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. So again, what Jesus has done is he's gone back to Genesis 1 and 2. I want you lay down your life for someone else. It's about giving yourself away, not protecting yourself. Self-giving, not self-interest. He's gone back to Genesis 1 and 2. Rest relationship, work. You get that. All of that is, that's the, the overall arc of what God is doing in the world and has been doing since day eight or whenever Adam and Eve sinned. I don't know when that was. So that's what he's been doing. He's been trying to get us back to Genesis 1 and 2, living in this rhythm, work of rest, work, and relationships. For us today and for the society that we live in, to me, the relational aspect is the most difficult one to uh, grab onto. It's the easiest to neglect and it's most difficult to maintain, particularly for Christians.
Luke 15, there's this picture of Jesus as the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. If we're disconnected from God, there's a restlessness in our heart, and he pursues us for that. He is coming after us. He's not going to let you stay out there for long disconnected from him. When it comes to work, again, most of us, we have this low-grade frustration. We're made for meaning and for purpose, and when we're not living that out, we know it. And we get frustrated. Maybe it's, it looks like we get angry quickly. Or, or some people, it leads them kind of almost into a depression. What am I doing with my life? But we were these good works that we talk about all the time, we were, those were created in advance for us. And we were created for them. And until we find that fit, there's kind of this longing in our heart for significance in terms of how God sees us. So both of those things, when it comes to rest and it comes to work, pretty easy to tell if you're living in rhythm or not. But when it comes to relationships, very difficult. Again, I think particularly where we live and especially for Christians. It's easy to confuse being with people with knowing people and people knowing you. Just because we're doing things together, it doesn't mean you know what's going on in my heart or I know what's going on in your heart. Just because we spend a lot of time with one another, maybe there might be people who you meet regularly with. You have a foursome that you play golf with every week, or there's someone that you meet for lunch every couple of weeks. You are regularly with the same people. But apart from intentionality, you're just being with them. It's different. It's not a life-giving relationship until you make that step. It's easy to confuse popularity. You knowing a lot of people and a lot of people knowing your name with life-giving relationships. It's not the same thing. And it's easy for us, again, as Christians, I think, especially to neglect life-giving relationships. Other things seem more important. A lot of us have this kind of martyr complex. We're, we're, we're willing, with a good heart, to kind of sacrifice our own well-being for the sake of the cause or whatever. And what we wind up doing is cutting ourselves off from people. When that's, I see people all the time. That's what I do. People come into my office, I talk to them, and... This is me, small sample size. If, if we would collectively commit to being in committed, long-term, loving relationships with one another, vast majority of the issues that I see could be dealt with easy. Not that the issues suddenly go away, but then you have a structure, you have a team, you have a family to help you walk through those things. What I see is people are isolated and then the circumstances of life happens and people just put their head down and say, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it. I don't want to burden someone else with my problems or I'm ashamed of my problems or whatever it is or I don't have time to talk, whatever the thing, whatever the excuse is, we just put our heads down and we keep going. And at some point, the load is too much to bear and we crumble. If we, if we had these life-giving relationships, we never get to that part. To that point, there would be people walking with us at the beginning before the issues seemed insurmountable. What's difficult, I think, about this, we're all bent towards self preservation. That's from Adam and Eve. We're all born that way. And so, because we're all born that way, when I'm relating to Bo, my natural tendency is to look out for me, and his natural tendency is to look out for him. And so, you put those two things together difficult to, to be transparent and vulnerable when my tendency is to hide 
behind whatever I think Bo wants to see of me, whatever he wants me to be as a pastor or a neighbor or a friend or whatever, to project to him what it is that he wants to see because I want to protect myself. And his tendency, because he's fallen, is to do the same thing. And we wind up missing each other. Never connecting. No transparency. No vulnerability. We think we're in relationship with each other because we see each other all the time, but we're not really. We just happen to live across the street or happen to work together on Sunday mornings. And that's how for many of us, that's the state of our relationships. You've got tons of Facebook friends, but do you have life-giving relationships? Are there people who know what's going on in your heart? Not people who say, you know what, I could tell them if I had to. Are there people right now who know because you've already told them what's going on? Not a safety net for if things get bad, you know you could call them. That's not what we're talking about. Adam and Eve were constantly relating to one another. It, what God didn't say, here's Eve, when you need her, call her. She's going to be on this end of the garden, you go hang out over there. If things get really bad, here's the meeting spot. It's not what he did. He put them together, living life together. And that's the picture for all of us, what God is looking for from all of us. Some of the reasons that we don't, I get every one of them. We just don't have time. We're busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on. I understand that. I'm not saying that you have to be in a small group here at Stonebridge. That's a negotiable. What is non-negotiable is life-giving relationships. If you've got that, you guys just, y'all come on in and sit down. If y'all have got things, if you've got other places where you're getting this, then fine. You don't need to sign up for a small group unless you just want to. The reason we're doing these is to promote and facilitate the formation of these life-giving relationships. If you've already got a group, excellent. You can continue to meet with that group. Again, what's ne- what you do is negotiable. That you're doing it is not. That's part of the rhythm of life that God has created. So one thing, no time, it's easy to cut. It, relationships are not efficient, and we value efficiency. And so it can seem difficult to continue to try to pursue these type of relationships. Another thing, we get in ruts with people. We talk about the same things. It just gets easy. And it's difficult to break out of the rut because then you're the weird guy who took the conversation in a different direction, and nobody wants to be that guy. But at some point, we have to. So to me, the easiest thing is just start that way. And that way, that's the rut that you get into. If you're going to get into a rut, get into a rut that says, I'm going to share my heart with you, and you can share yours with me. And I'm going to give you a chance to speak to me about what's going on in my life, and I'll do the same thing for you. It can be difficult to break it. Some of you, again, you've had friends, same friends, 10, 12, 15, 20 years. But it's an inch deep. And it's scary to you to think about breaking out of that rut. I get that. But at some point, you either need to do it with them or you need to find somebody else that you can do it with. Uh, we get discouraged. For some of you, you've moved here, maybe for the first time. Sometimes Marietta is not the easiest place in the world to break into. And you're trying to find your niche. You're trying to find your group, and you're getting discouraged. Don't quit. For some of you, you've lived here forever, and you're discouraged because everybody seems superficial, and you can't figure out how to get deeper with other people. You're looking for these relationships. You just don't know where else to turn. And I would say just don't get discouraged. Again, this is something that God has for all of us. For some of you, it was when you were single and you became married, and now you're trying to figure out, well, how do we do this together? I had my folks and he had his folks, but how do we have our folks? And it's, again, easy to get discouraged. And I would say just continue 
to ask the Lord. It's okay to ask the Lord for friends. I've done that. It works. It doesn't mean you're a loser, I don't think. Ask if you need them. Ask for them. Ask for these relationships. And another thing I think is we just get familiar. It's kind of this curse that we have. Again, it's, it's similar to the ruts where we talk about the same thing over and over again. But we can just become so familiar with one another that we take for granted that there could be things that are happening in people's hearts. And we just kind of skip on past without really taking the time to figure out what's going on. We think we know, but we don't really know. This is my encouragement for you. We're going to have these small group leaders. You guys can come on up. Small group leaders, y'all can come on up. They're going to give you a 30-second, 45-second, hopefully not more than 60-second commercial. 